0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, April 10th, 2020. On this day in 1834, New Orleans firefighters responded to an act of arson, but the fire's light revealed an even more heinous crime deep inside the LaLaurie Mansion. Welcome to today in true crime, a Parcast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the fire at the Lalaurie Mansion. Many call it a haunted house, but in the 1830s, its sadistic horrors were indisputably real. Let's go back to the corner of Royal Street and Bayou Road shortly after 10 p.m. on April 10th, 1834. Judge Jacques Canonge watched the flames engulf his neighbor's mansion. The fire engines pumped away, steam flowing up from their clicking gears the hoses aimed at a square gray building, which belonged to one of the wealthiest couples in New Orleans. In shock, the judge could only cry out the obvious, is everyone out? Anyone could be inside. The Lalauris were known to host myriad guests in their palatial home, the Creole elites, the well-heeled and well-traveled, the several children from previous marriages. The pair entertained ambassadors, foreign princes, and, if you believed the rumors, the voodoo queen, Marie Laveau. Madame Lalaurie's parties weren't just a place to gossip, they were the gossip. Even in 1834, New Orleans gave its visitors a haven for debauchery. And, of course, there were the enslaved residents of the mansion, the people who broke their backs to make the lush parties unforgettable. Oddly, the judge didn't see any of them as he scanned the chaos. Perhaps they lived in an outbuilding or on another property? The Lalauries were certainly rich enough. Their wealth was evident from the beautiful furniture, art, and jewelry the couple had piled up on the street, rescued from the flames. Certainly, if they'd had time to save valuables, they'd secured the lives of all who lived at 1140 Royal Street. The judge relaxed as much as one could while helping put out a fire, until another neighbor whispered what the Lalarees had done. They'd left the people they enslaved chained inside to die. The judge attempted to confirm this with other bystanders, who were generally indifferent. So he approached Dr. Lalaurie, prepared to strike down the rumor or offer help. Judge Canonge didn't really know his neighbor, so he politely inquired if there was anyone else inside the house. The doctor regarded the judge as if he'd spit in his face. After a moment, he spoke in a measured Creole drawl, saying there were those who would be better employed if they would tend to their own affairs instead of officiously intermediating with the concerns of other people. For the judge who dedicated his entire life to officious mediation, this was a slap in the face. It was also confirmation that the doctor was burning people alive. There was no time to be angry. He ordered the Laleries to hand over their house keys. The doctor refused. The Madame was different. The judge ordered the fire brigade to break down the doors. Inside, the rescue party confirmed the worst. There was an older woman chained in the kitchen. She'd been whipped severely, then left to bleed or burn to death, whichever came first. The judge ordered the group to search the rest of the house, where they found several more chained enslaved people barely able to walk. But the worst by far was in the upper rooms, According to the New Orleans Bee, they found seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck, with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. All were chained, some to the floor, some to the ceiling. A woman whipped so brutally, her bones stuck out of her skin a man with a rotting gash in his skull, where maggots had infested. He was still alive. But as the fire's oppressive heat bore down, no sound came from the trapped victims, no screams, no soft cries for help. These people did not want to be rescued. After their experiences in the Lalaurie Mansion, they desired only to die. When all the slaves were pulled out, the authorities put a few facts together. This fire was no accident, no act of vicious arson. It was an escape hatch, a suicide attempt. The fire had been set by the 70-year-old woman chained in the kitchen who did not fear burning in hell because she was already there. Up next the fallout of the Lalaurie fire. Now back to the story. The fire at the Lalaurie mansion on April 10, 1834, did not destroy the enslaved woman who said it in an act of suicide, nor did it destroy her enslavers who she hoped would die beside her in the flames. It didn't even destroy the house. The angry mob did that, They threw armoires out the windows and pianos off the roof. They took out their anger with uncouth graffiti and stole the sterling silverware. Even the Lalaurie's carriages were demolished. By the time the mob finished, the once enviable home was barely more than four blood-stained walls. By some estimates, the opulent French Quarter Mansion sustained about $40,000 in damage, or about $1.2 million today. And while the B noted this as the first act of this kind in the city, it couldn't blame the citizens for their reaction to the Lalaurie's crimes. New Orleans had a long and complicated history with race. After its settlement by the French, the city was home to a thriving community of free black people. In France, slavery was more about class than race, and that continued in the Bayou. But in the wake of the 1803 Louisiana Purchase, the newly American city imported slaves to serve the wealthy Creole upper class. By 1834, the dichotomy was starting to rankle, and the city wouldn't stay safe for free black people much longer. The Lolleries abuse highlighted the growing discomfort many had with slavery. It's unclear when exactly the couple started their sadistic acts. They did their best to keep the abuse a secret. But Delphine and Leonard LaLaurie married in 1825 and moved into the infamous mansion in 1832. That November, Delphine filed for divorce, claiming her husband beat her in a cruel manner in front of witnesses. She was not granted a divorce. A few months later, an enslaved girl died after jumping off the roof. It seemed apparent that Madame Lalaurie had chased her up there. The LaLaurie mansion was right in the middle of the French Quarter. It was impossible to hide what had happened. But it's noteworthy that the neighbors reported Madame LaLaurie not for the death on her property, but for burying the girl in her yard. The police investigated this report, but what they didn't know was this wasn't the first illegal burial at LaLaurie mansion. By one survivor's account, at least 24 slaves died at the LaLaurie's hands. Newspaper reports confirm that bodies were found buried on the premises after the fire. But in 1833, there was only one known death. One that could be written off as an accident. Negligence instead of malice. The Lolleries faced no trial, served no jail time, They were fined $300 and forced to sell their nine enslaved servants. Within weeks, the Lolleries friends bought the enslaved servants back and delivered them right to the mansion they thought they'd escaped. There was no recourse for these enslaved folks. There were no laws to protect them. They were trapped. Over the next year, the Lollaries performed twisted experiments on their enslaved servants, keeping them chained in kneeling positions, wrapping their waists in their own still-functional intestines, breaking bones and resetting them off-kilter. It appeared the doctor wanted to see what horrors the human body could survive. No one could blame the enslaved woman who set the fire, especially after they saw the condition of the victims. Once the rescued slaves' chains were removed, they were taken to the mayor's office for medical care. Within hours, a reported 5,000 people descended on the LaLaurie house. They attacked the building because they couldn't attack the LaLauries. The demon couple had already escaped to Paris, where they continued their lives of wealth, glamor, and presumably sadism. While this is horribly unjust, it was among the better outcomes for the survivors of the fire. Even with the public outrage and the atrocities committed, there was no law that prevented the tortured victims from falling back into the Lolleries' possession yet again. It's unknown how the rescued people fared. One would hope Judge Canonge, who rescued them from the fire, used his legal power to set them free. That the free victims moved north, found a fresh start, and dictated their own futures. But it's equally likely they were once again sold at auction, even after the fire, unable to escape their chains. There would be no true justice until the end of slavery, and that wouldn't come for over 30 years. Given this history, it's no surprise the Laloree Mansion is now considered the most haunted place in New Orleans. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you're interested in learning more about the crimes committed in the LaLaurie Mansion, the ParCast original, Haunted Places, has a great episode on the topic. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parkast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Maggie Admire, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.